Welcome to the Untribal podcast, the show that gives you news content by regular people for regular people. Today we're joined by the SNP's Paisley Prodigy. In 2015, she was the youngest ever person to be elected into the UK Parliament at 20 years and 237 days old, a record previously held by Wedford Fitzwilliam in 1832. Safe to say she went for Fitzwilliam, that's all right. <laughs> and at the same time, she was the she was the wane of the house, El Nino. She's still a bairn compared to the age of some of them down south, but she's developed into a first-rate politician that holds her own and some. She's went from serving you a battered sausage in a chippy to just about battering any conservative in sight with her powerful speeches and fiery tenacity that Scots absolutely love to see. Welcome to the podcast, Mary Black. How are you doing today, Mary? You all right? Thank you. I'm wondering how long it took you to write all that. <laughs> that was <laughs> very creative. Yeah, you know what? I actually, I, I do them in the morning off. Like, I, I, I wait till the day and I think, right, what, what's going to come to me for the introduction today? So, um, Mary, take us to that moment. You, you've just learned you're going to be going to Westminster as a, a member of Parliament. You're 20 years old. And, and yep. what was the build-up like? So, I mean, you need to remember that before the election, I'd been campaigning for independence, obviously. I think since about 2011 was when I joined the SNP. Um, so I, I was already, you know, hyped up, knew what I was doing, knocking on doors and everything. And basically my approach had been enough people had kind of asked me to stand and, you know, I'd overcome all my hurdles myself. And I thought, right, I will. Never going to win, but I'm going to make Douglas Alexander work for it. Like really, really try because we, we shouldn't be going back in our box just because we lost lost the referendum. So that's exactly what we did. Um, and then I remember the Ashcroft poll came out saying that it looked like I I, I was one of the ones that was going to win. I was like, what nonsense! Polls are just polls, and I do genuinely believe that. I, I think nobody knows until the polls close. Like you can guess all you want but it's anything can happen on the day and uh, so that was that we got to the the night of the election the count and I had actually been told by headquarters uh, that I should stay at home because the they were like the press is going to be all over it's going to be insane so I was like right okay I'll just stay in the house until so my dad and my mum and my brother and all that and all the activists went through and it was in the lagoon in Paisley. Um, so they were counting and I was just at home and I was like, I am not watching anything election-wise. And I think I ended up sticking on the Big Bang Theory or something. It was <laughs> rubbish. Like it was just whatever was on E4, uh, trying to go brain dead before it. And I'd sat and I was like, right, I need to figure out my speeches. So I had my winning speech as a, uh, and my losing speech. And I kept practicing my losing speech over and over because no matter how hard I tried, it just sounded sarcastic. <laughs> so I was like, "How I need to figure out how to word this better so it's, it sounds sincere. Um, so that was what I spent my night doing. And I phoned saying, how's it looking? And I'm like, oh, God, Mary, it's really close. It's really close. Uh, we, we don't know. And I was like, right, okay. And it got to one in the morning and they were like, right, that's it. We think we've finished counting. You need to come along. So my mum and my brother came along and picked us up. And I'm in the car and we're outside the lagoon. And I'm like, right, so how is it looking? Oh, it's so close. It's so close. We, honestly, it's too close to tell. So right, okay. And we went into the lagoon and there's all the cameras are flashing. Honestly, it's like, you know how when you see footballers coming out of the airport 
and it's just it was like that it was insane um so we get into the hall and it gets to the point where they take you behind a curtain um, and it's like they tell you the results before you walk up on the stage so we're all standing there behind us uh, these cover and it's the closest I'd ever been to Douglas Alexander in the entire campaign <laughs> so uh, there was a wee bit of going oh your your face is on the telly <laughs> you know that, <laughs> that weird feeling you get um, so I'm standing there and the woman's get opening up the results and everything and my dad was my election agent and he was the one who'd been telling me all night it's too close to call and he turns around to me and he was like I've been lying to you all night you're thousands ahead thousands and I was wow. like you're kidding and I was like dad I've only been practicing my losing speech oh Jesus and of course the woman then goes right Mary you're the one that's elected and I had to get up and did the speech and that was the first time I'd even read the bloody the speech about winning um, so it was a it was a crazy night. To say Tremendous, the least. yeah, that's mental. Honestly, <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't be- help but picture the sarcasmaholics uh, sketch in Burniston. <laughs> Mary, you've won. No, really? <laughs> honestly, <laughs> that's mental. So, who is Mary Black? More generally, who is this last for Paisley that so many look up to now? Uh, honestly, a wee riot to tell you the truth. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just kind of everyday. I was constantly chasing my tail. Uh, I am right into, I, I'm a real geek, if I'm honest, you know, I like my comics, I like my Star Wars, uh, spin-off shows are great, so, I, you know, like my PlayStation, I don't know, I'm just kind of, I mean, my, my wife will tell you that I'm an arsehole, um, but <laughs> <laughs> that's, she has a unique way of uh, you know keeping my feet in the ground <laughs> so an arsehole that likes the playstation wow uh, <laughs> tremendous any anytime folk come up to me and say really nice and sincere things and i believe them but i, I genuinely say them i'm like it's all downhill from here like everything <laughs> you learn is is going to disappoint you now <laughs> the you have in your head. <laughs> well listen you, you you're you're very modest mary but oh, but t- take it take us through that that maiden speech, that that first speech where you end up with about yeah. ten million views on social media, was it yeah. the reaction to that where it was like, "Wow, no, this is real. Like, what is mad. going on?" It was just mad, absolutely insane. Um, because, I, like, there's already, I, I don't know. I think it's just naivety to tell you the truth that I, it had never crossed my mind that folk would make a big deal about my age. Um, and, and that's as it does seem stupid given that that's what my big reservation was before I stood um, but because I kind of had the answers I was like so that's that dealt with you know that after that I should just be like any other MP and get on with the job um, and that just did not happen at all even before the maiden speech like uh, like even my fa- me and my family we had to stay in a hotel for a couple of nights just because it was you know folk outside the house and so it was insane, insane. I was on Lorraine Kelly and stuff. Like it was just mad. Um, and then the maiden speech happened, and like, because the the rules of the house. One of the stupid things is that you can't really uh, contribute in debates until you make your maiden speech. So, I was. I think I was about four or five, or maybe that's too much. A couple of months anyway, and. Uh, compared to my colleagues because they were all like wanting to get them out of the way as quickly as they could 
But I just thought, no, I'm going to sit back and get a feel for the place first before running in with two feet, you know, because um, that's what everybody's expecting me to do is just run in and make an arse of myself. So I was like, right, let's figure out what's how this works, you know, how people talk, how to hold folk together and stuff. Um, and so eventually it came my turn and I just, I, honestly, this, I mean, I, I wrote the speech the night before because uh, my brother had actually came down that week with me. Um, so we were dying to go for a pint to tell me the truth. So I, I was in the office and he was just sitting on his phone and I just thought, right, what have I been sent here to do? Sum it up. And that's what I did, you know, and then uh, obviously when I, I did this speech, it got the reaction it did, but it was mental. Like yeah, I sat yeah. down thinking, I didn't stumble there, that was pretty decent, yes. And then, I, you know, two days later, I've got the press team coming to me to say, you're trending second in Nigeria. What? <laughs> Just no danger, mad, man. Mad stuff. That's wild. I, that's honestly that's the most Scottish I ever. Eh? You've just arrived in Westminster, and you're all you've got in your mind's a pint, man. <laughs> <laughs> not to live up to a stereotype, you know. But it's been a long day. <laughs> Fair enough. And uh, what's it like on the day to day? Like, how how do you feel? Are you excited when you go down there? I mean, you're being quite vocal about how useless you think oh, Westminster I is. As a... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it's it's like I, I I like to remind people, you know, we're actively campaigning to be made redundant. Like I, I, I must be one of the few people actively trying to lose their job. Um, it's like I always worry that I'm just going to sound, you know, almost petulant talking about Westminster. But honest to God, there's very little that I can say about it as a workplace that's good. You know, the staff are amazing, but the structure of it, the atmosphere of the place, the toxicity that exists in it, it's just. It's not somewhere you, that any workplace, you know, should tolerate, certainly. Mm. Um, and then when you remind yourself, oh, this is actually where the decisions are made, it becomes even more depressing because, <laughs> you you know, you, there's days there where I just feel like it's been an absolute waste of time, you know, mm. whether it's because they've pulled a debate at the last minute or uh, someone's talked out an important bill, you know, whatever it is, it, it can it constantly chops and changes. And I just think, surely you've got to have a stable form of government in order to have a stable country. Um, and we can't even get that right, never mind getting governments we vote for. So that's uh, so interesting. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, I, I don't think it's surprising that you're getting re-elected. There's something about a strong Scottish accent speaking so well that just rallies folk in Scotland. That they're just so <laughs> proud as a nation. We're like, go on, Mary. Like, <laughs> well, but, see, that is, sorry to interrupt, but that's, there is one side of that, but there's also definitely a, a cringe about it. You know, I mean, I, I naturally get the cringe of hearing my own voice and getting sick of it. Um, but Equally with the comments that I get, a lot of the, you know, those that aren't fans of me criticise it is my voice that they go for immediately, you know, that we Ned, that we look at that we Scruff, you know, and I think, I don't think I do sound like that, you know, I've just got a class region accent, but no, absolutely all not. right, you do you. We're, we're we're more used to it to be fair uh, I don't know that. <laughs> 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 yeah essentially Sorry, but but I no no I, all I was going to say was that there was always that there was also that really powerful one that you talked about the UK sleepwalking to 
fascism, yeah. such powerful language, and the social media reaction again was immense. I'm just wondering, see when you're in bed at night, do you sit and scroll Twitter as a regular person would if they went viral, or whose opinion do you actually listen to? Uh, Twitter, I despise. You know, it's a really the joy's been sucked out of it very occasionally I, I mean I did I worked very hard to get my timeline back to something that it looked like before uh, you know the, uh, politics so I still see occasional stuff that really makes me laugh you know just daft stuff um, but the Love politics it. side never I never tap my notifications button I just mm. don't do it fair uh, enough like I, I've occasionally I'll dive in just to see you know what the script is or you know it might be uh, my brother goes oh I've seen something about you uh, doing x y or z and I'm like what Wait, hold on and I would go and have a look for it uh, but otherwise no uh, I get any time for it <laughs> we Fair call enough. it in my office uh, throwing the grenade when we tweet <laughs> you know you Absolute. just run run <laughs> so but it's so important, right? It's so big in politics just now. And I mean, as far as your political career is concerned, you've only lived in a world where social media is so important for it. I'm yeah. wondering, see, like the older MPs that know what it was like before then, what what do they say about it? Oh, they're all shell-shocked. Absolutely shell-shocked. But I think there's actually something that's in years to come we'll look back on and not necessarily, in fact, maybe we could end up studying it, but there's definitely like a, a generational shift happening just now. Um and in that our governments aren't catching up with technology. Um and I, I I'm not just meaning this as a dig at, you know, Westminster being an old fashioned boys club, which it is, um, but more specifically about the fact that the vast majority of people in Westminster that I work with don't understand the internet. Like they're boomers, you know. There's no other way to put it. You know, it's like you can see them making the mistakes that me and you made on Facebook when we were like thirteen. Do you know what I mean? Like whether it's oversharing or you all right, hun? What's up? Or having a public, <laughs> you know, food fight or whatever. It's these are the things that we get out of our system and learn from and be like, oh god, you know, cringing it. Whereas they don't, <laughs> this is their first kind of go at it. And I see it a lot, like, see, um, when you watch the chamber, like, what you see uh, on the Parliament channel or whatever, when all the MPs are sitting on their phones and their iPads, oh, hand on heart, nine times out of ten, they're on Twitter. Really? Like, whether it's searching their own name, whether it's searching, you know, what's happening in something, it's all Twitter. And there's one side of that that's really sad, you know, where I find myself going, oh my God, look, I'm surrounded by grannies on Twitter. Like, oh, and they, they come to you with things like, this This is dead important. You're like, oh my God, that's a scam. How are you? No, look, look see if you look at the, you, do you know what I mean? It, it can get, it can get like that. But the more serious side to that is that, that, because of the decline of journalism as well, and in that I don't mean the the quality. What I mean is the literally the numbers in journalism. So where you used to have maybe ten journalists covering two topics, now you've got one journalist covering ten topics, mm. and that person's spread so thin with so many deadlines that more often than not they get their news from Twitter, and therefore it's kind of like Twitter has become this really it's incredible like it's a 
a formal part of our you know political system just now which is also scary because it's like that's what i used to go to ban people up (laughs) it's you know so i I do i think there's an interesting clash that's happening there that we've still not managed to find our feet with uh, well, speaking of cringes, I, I actually remember going through my old Twitter about, it must be about four years ago, I was like, I can't have this next to my name anymore. I'm just deleting the whole thing. I've, I've recently come back on Twitter because, I, I, as you said, it's such an integral part yep. of politics yep, totally. now, so I've, I've had to get, so he's a follow at Ennis Burns, by the way. And um, uh, yeah, look, Mary, it's been a mental week, especially in Scottish politics. You know, I personally, I thought the Supreme Court ruling was pretty unsurprising. It's a British court. Obviously, they're yep. going to stick up for the UK government. I was wondering what your initial reaction was to that ruling. But it, it, the same as you, to tell the truth. Um, I, I would have been surprised if it had come back uh, differently. But because in my head, there were three options, right? There was yes, which was unlikely. There was no, which was likely. And the third option was that they would say, actually, we need you to publish a bill for us to look at. And in some ways, three would have been the more kind of problematic because it just kind of kicks it the can further down the road yet again um, without it being you know definitive or clear. Whereas at least with them coming back with a no, I think it was very honest, to tell you the truth, because... I, I've been screaming it for years now. This is not a union of equal nations. It just isn't. And that has now been proven to be legally true, that we're not equal. So no matter how fluffy or warm the language that gets used as a family of nations or, you know, as, as I have friends across the borders, I don't care. I'm talking about government. <laughs> you know, it's... um. So in that sense, I, I think if it, in many ways there's it's more good news than it is bad because it at least confirms what I already believe to be true. Mm, interesting. You know I mean? and, and and since then, obviously, Nicola Sturgeon's changed yes, Scotland to the, the Scottish democracy movement. There's yeah. been a real bit of momentum behind that. I, I don't know if you've seen Stuart MacDonald's, um, your fellow MP. He actually, I've seen this on Twitter. Uh, funnily enough, he made an interesting intervention to say, look, this isn't a liberation movement. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't be using words like imprisoned and shackled when talking about the Scottish independence movement. This is very much about social and economic development. Mm -hmm. And I think, well, not your counterpart, but Alex Cole Hamilton even said using language like that was out the playbook of Donald Trump to divide power in America. Well, I was wondering what your take on that is. How how did you see that? So I, I agree with him. Um, I think that it, if you take a step back, I think, you know, to be using languages, language like colonies, um, you know, and imprisoned and stuff, that does a disservice to the fact that Scotland was a massive part in colonising other countries, you know, that genuinely did suffer massive abuses. Um, that's not to say there aren't abuses in Scotland's history, but the dynamic is just not co- comparable in any sense. Um, so I, I do agree with them. Um, I actually, when I hear independence supporters, uh, don't get me wrong, there are absolute Zoomers that do think, you know, that, that they're being imprisoned by uh, Rishi Sunak personally. Um, but I, I think uh, that a lot of the time it's more laziness in their language and that doesn't make it right. Um, but I do, I think it's just, you know, that kind of, ah, we're shackled to, da, da, da. 
it's you know it's lazy talking and we do we need to do better than that um but to the point of the what yes Scotland is doing I think for me I've always said the the reason I support independence is because of the democratic argument I just that's how people are in control you know you, you can vote governments out <laughs> like it's the, the most basic rule of democracy and yet Scotland doesn't have that you know and I know that people argue you know but we're part of the system you know I am I'm part of the system I am one of those representatives and I'm telling you we're not <laughs> we don't get any power we can be outvoted by one city this is you know this idea that we have a, a veto on anything is nonsense and when you think that Scotland's not voted Conservative since 1955, and yet for the vast majority of everyone who lives here's lifetime, it's been a Conservative government, that's unjustifiable. It's totally unjustifiable. And to make it matters worse is that now they're saying, they're trying to move the goalposts and say that... Uh, the SNP and the Greens don't have a mandate to call for a second referendum. That's literally what the election was about. You know, even if you look at the Conservative Party's leaflets and election material at the time, it was all a vote for us as a vote against another referendum. And guess what? They lost. So, and yet they're the ones that stand up and accuse people like me of not respecting democracy. It's, it's you know, it starts to get on... To the scary side of things when you think of what else this government's doing in terms of uh, you know trying to attack trade unions trying to attack workers rights uh, trying to attack immig immigrants and asylum seekers you know it just it paints a real ugly picture that scotland certainly didn't vote to be part of um, and apparently can't vote to get out of either that leaves us in a very very you know precarious position and I think it's up to the UK government to answer that mm, Absolutely, so one of our followers actually wasn't happy about the way we explained the, the court ruling I'm actually going to give them a shout out, Richard Nicholson Blythe, 1978 <laughs> so they, basically we were saying they were saying that we were leaning one way because we were saying that the SNP will be seeking your vote on the next election on one sole manifesto promise mm -hmm. and that's to deliver independence yep. to, to make a de facto referendum right? But of course, a general election can be about a number of things, that, and it's up to the people to decide uh, what yeah. what they prioritise. So you could have things like the NHS at the forefront of your mind, or you know the cost of living crisis. And some people might think a referendum's a waste of time, and yeah. and you know Conservatives, Labour, and Lib Dems will be urging that line of thinking. But of course, independent supporting parties will be like these issues are interlinked, you know. We need independence and the full control in order to sort things like the NHS and the cost of living crisis. Mm -hmm. But I think the first point is important, right? So this is going to be a referendum in reality without actually being a referendum. So the SNP and, and parties alike will have to seek votes on one sole promise, as I said, independence. So they'll have to put themselves in the shop window in a yes or no fashion to one question because I feel like anything over and above that you could be accused of clouding people's judgment and more importantly for the independence movement it gives a reason for Westminster to go that isn't legitimate you mentioned this you mentioned that it wasn't just about independence you know what I mean and I'll, I'll spell out why that's important in a couple of examples 
firstly, if I'm a voter that quite likes independence, would probably vote for it. Maybe doesn't think that this is the right time and would probably rather see it in five, ten years' time, but I'd vote for it. Um, but I'm going to make this election about healthcare, so I'm going to vote for you know who I think handles the NHS the best. And I'm walking to the polling station, and you know I'm I'm imagining Nicola Sturgeon at FMQs, all those statistics about Scotland doing better than England in the NHS just now. I think right, okay, I'm I'm going to vote SNP, and that's where it can potentially get tangled, right? Or to give another example, if you're an environmentalist and you are disenfranchised with politics, you think there's so much greenwashing, you can't be bored with it. You you turn off the news because it's just a load of rubbish. You just want it want what's best for the environment and for that reason you're going to vote green but you're not informed of that choice that you're making that you're actually voting for independence referendum so i think the challenge and almost duty to you guys would be to explain to the general public this is abundantly clear if you're voting for smp green or alba you're mm -hmm. voting on nothing other than independence a simple yes or no question because if not then it's not a de facto referendum so and where I see difficulty there is you can't cite, for example, the SNP's specific record on health or education where it was in an environment where Westminster set the budget or they were helping them out. Or yeah. you can't say, you know, we're going to employ this amount yeah. of teachers. We're going to uh, uh, train this amount of nurses because we have no idea what the financial situation will be after that vote because yeah. Westminster could pull a blinder on us and pull the funding. We don't know. I, I doubt yeah. they would do that, but we don't know. So mm -hmm. I'm just wondering... Mary, how do you think we're we're going to address this general election in in spirit of those concerns? So, I think you, the first thing is that what uh, the first minister said is she wants to have a, a conference um, to basically to hash out a lot of these things because there's a lot of arguments for and against. So, for example, like when you were talking about. Um, you know, this is not having a mandate for it because people vote for lots of different reasons, right? That's true, and that is a, a, a point to make. But I would also turn that back, though, and say, well, if that's what we're basing it off of, then the UK government, that's what Boris Johnson did. He said, a vote for me is a vote for my Brexit. So unless you're going to reverse Brexit as well, that argument doesn't really stand up. Secondly, I think that it's not been any secret. It's literally been the SNP line, vote for us for the right to a second referendum because things have changed. Everything, and this harks again back to another point I was going to make, which was that the UK is not a stable environment just now. It's it's a myth, this idea of the, these broad shoulders. You know, Even if you think back to 2014, Everything that was promised then has arguably not been delivered. I remember, you know, talking to people in 2014 at the doorstep and saying, you know, can you imagine a, a Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, you know, with Nigel Farage nipping at his heels? I don't want them in charge of, you know, anything to do with my life. And I was saying that thinking, it's never going to get that bad. Surely, no, it can't be. And yet here we are. The argument was, no, Scotland has to stay in the UK, otherwise we'll be out of Europe. And yet, not just did they have a Brexit referendum, but when Scotland voted to stay in, 
it didn't matter at all. And they still want to talk about family and nations and stuff. So this idea that nothing's changed is ridiculous. And I would argue that particularly with things like COVID and Ukraine, the world is all over the place just now. And what better way for you to have control over that or, or over how you respond to these things is by being able to get rid of the government if they're not doing what you like. And that's the problem that we've had for the last 40, 50 years, arguably. So again, that's where I just think, not that this is again proven why independence has to be at the forefront. And you also have to remember that it's the UK government that are refusing to engage just now. We've ticked every box we possibly could have. We, it was the yes side that took it to the Supreme Court because we wanted a definitive answer on, well, can we do this ourselves? And the court said, no, you can't. You need to get UK uh, Westminster permission. And we go, Westminster, can we get permission? You know, we've won eight elections on the premise that that's what we stand for. You know, we make no secret of it. No, I'm afraid we're not given yet. Why? It's not the time. How did you decide that? Uh, there's a lot going on, you know. We've got stuff to do. It, you know, it's just it doesn't stack up. So to me, the the I think the onus is on Westminster because the only thing that Westminster ever has said is that if not a referendum, then a majority of MPs at a general election. Arguably, we've already done that three times now. We've done that. So even by all the their own standards that they set, we've hit every one of them. And that's where I do, I just think it ha the question has to be pushed back on them as to, well, what's your answer? You're the one that claim, claim, claims to be, you know, the bastion of democracy. So tell us, how do we democratically do it then? Mm. And that's where, if we don't get a, an answer in the next few months, who knows? <laughs> you know, who knows where it'll end up? And, and why why do you think that they're doing that? Why do you think they're trying to delegitimize this push for a, a second vote? Do you think? Two reasons. I think one, they don't have any other tactic, and they know it, um, because anything else would be too much. And the second is they're hoping that it will just go away. They hope that people will just, you know, eventually become you know, interested in something else, whether it's Ukraine or, uh, you know, the environment or whatever it is. It's what they always do. They just kind of hope that, nah, I'll just kick that away. Because they can. <laughs> it's it, That's literally what what the fundamental problem is. Um, so I do, I, th I think it's back on to, um, back on to the UK government. And if, if you're talking specifically about what election you should use, um, like I've said, the, I think the arguments for the general election is, well, you guys are the ones that have a history of saying that. Um, but second, if you wanted it to be a, a Scottish election, the arguments for that is, one, it's a, more proportional. So you could argue it's far more accurate. Um, and I also think many more people aren't disenfranchised you know uh, you know EU citizens could vote under 16s uh, or sorry 16s and 17 year olds could vote um so that th there are those arguments for uh, either one um so I do I think as a movement we need to decide what 
we're choosing is the next way forward. Um, but yeah, I think Westminster's running out of time and they know it. Well, Mary, we're coming to an end today. I want to say thank you first and foremost. But I said to my followers that if they had anything to ask you, we'd, uh, we would do on the podcast. Cool. So we'll finish with a few of those questions, if you don't yeah, mind. Um, first one was actually more of a suggestion and a right. question. So they said, I was actually speaking to Alistair Allen uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was the week of Qatar. So I was asking him, you know, in an independent Scotland, what would you be advising you know, fans of LGBTQ, mm-hmm. you know, what what would you want them to do? And they've said to me, you, you've you've asked the wrong person. We want to hear from Mary, who's such a strong feminist and defender of LGBTQ plus rights, and they want to know your take on it. In my independent Scotland, we wouldn't be going in the first place. <laughs> even if we qualified? Even if we qualified, no chance. I'm oh. sure John McGinn would have something to say about that. Like. <laughs> I'm sure my dad would have something to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> No, I do. I think, eh, like the taking off the armbands and stuff when they got there, I think it's just pathetic. You know, like the, I, I, it was different when I thought, right, fair enough. If the teams go, then maybe they're in my there protesting. Cool, like I don't, I don't mind that. Um, but when they just absolutely shat it on the protest, <laughs> I, I just thought, well, what's the point? No, you're literally just taking money. You're Dana David Beckham. You know, or a Gary Neville, just, uh, you know, so basically nobody in Qatar can ever lecture me about mm. being an ally ever again. <laughs> Fair enough. So another follower who wanted to shout out specifically up here, uh, who is such a big fan of yours, he wanted me to, to send his love first and foremost. And he also wanted to ask you what you're going to do about the drugs crisis in Glasgow and Paisley. Yep. So that, I think... And I'm sorry if I sound like a broken record, but let me argue my case. It for me is another reason I want independence. Um, because what we have is a situation where, like, yes, so the Scottish government has its set budget, and if that's getting cut by Westminster, they're struggling. That's only one factor. The other factor is that because um the way it works out, the misuse of drugs act is reserved to Westminster. What we have is, I sit in Scotland, our Scottish governments, our councils, our experts have all switched to thinking that the best way to tackle drug abuse and addiction is to base it around a health, a health-based model, which is absolutely true. You know, you look like at countries who've done it, like Portugal, they were at once worse than we were. Um, for drug deaths and they have managed to drastically turn it around due to deliberately decriminalising drug offences. Um, so I I think that if you if we really want to get serious about tackling drug uh, abuse and alcohol abuse, we have to do it in tandem with investing a ton into mental health services and health services more broadly. But second of all, putting a lot of time and effort into decriminalizing and destigmatizing. Um of course that requires huge amounts of money, which again harks back to my argument that Westminster's in control of the purse strings ultimately. That's a problem. But it's also a very literal problem that, as I say, we're in a situation where everybody in Scotland is wanting to go to that health based model. But the reason we can't the reason that we can't have these test facilities in George Square is because Westminster are like, no, it's a crime. We say it's a crime and we're not changing the act. 
no matter what you ask. And that's that. <laughs> Again, like that's kind of the final say. So until we change to f that and get rid of that misuse of drugs act or at least amend it, um, I think we're facing a real uphill battle. Um, but so yes, there's a very long technical yeah, no, fair enough. <laughs> explanation. Absolutely. The the next couple are absolute belters, by the way. So <laughs> so another one said, There's one thing no supporting your local team in St. Mirren and looking to Glasgow, but what on earth possessed you to pick Partick Thistle and where you pissed at the time? <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, my father's doing and my grandfather's doing. Uh, so my uh, grandpa, he was initially, see my mum's side, they're all Celtic supporters, right? A uh, big Catholic family, Irish family, so it's, it's all very, they're very proud of it. The other side, my dad's father, he was brought up a Rangers supporter and when he was 18 he thought I can't be bothered with this sectarian stuff so he started going to Fur Hill they lived in Mary Hill that was so dad kept going and once we were born he was having it no other way and he's right because <laughs> being a Thistle supporter is it's, it's character development you know <laughs> <laughs> fair enough so the next one is if you had to pick between Boris Johnson's Barnet the constant dandruff on his suit or his political views, which one would you gee yourself? <laughs> <laughs> which one would I gee myself? <laughs> I'd run a mile. <laughs> I want nothing to do with him. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> like, what one would you gee yourself? I don't want any of them. <laughs> I'd probably I'd take the dandruff because at least you can, you know, sweep that off. That's a good answer. Like that, man, <laughs> you know, there's a lot to unpick there. The Fair barnet, enough. we just won't go there. I've had my bad barnet here, do. I, I don't think anyone would take that barnet, like, no chance. <laughs> no, I'm not due one for another 10 years at least. Uh, and lastly, Mary, this is actually from myself, right? Uh, yep. So we've talked about, about Qatar there, and I want to finish uh, with a question. Um, I, I've been writing a little bit about how we need to leave sad, bitter football fans alone, right? Uh -huh. Because of the rivalry we have and it, it gives us that emotional attachment to the game. And I've seen like Scotland fans getting called out because they're not supporting England in, in yep. the, the World Cup and all that. And I, I can call them sad and bitter because I am also a sad and bitter football fan. Yep. I, I am one of these people. Yep. You know, we've got um, the Edinburgh Derby, we've got Hibs and Hearts and Edinburgh. And, you know, you're walking up to the game and everyone's like, oh, I hate them, man, I hate them. I want a result in that. And then the next week, we're all jumping about together supporting Scotland. So there's no genuine yeah. malice in it. And I don't see anything wrong with being a sad, bitter football fan. But, I, and to be fair, I was it was actually so, like, sour jealousy last week when someone was like, oh, will you be supporting Wales? I was like, oh, no, I'm sick of the Welsh, honestly. They do my nothing. That should be Scotland there and all that. Just <laughs> absolute pity. Yeah. And to be fair, when it came to the game today and, and against the US, I did I was supporting them. But I was just wondering, you know, do, do you support England and Wales at the World Cup? And if so, is it because you're a sad, bitter football fan like me? Or is it because you don't see yourself as British? Um. So, I mean, it would depend who Wales... Like, if just that example you gave me, like, it would depend who Wales was playing. Because I usually go for the underdog because I'm Thistle supporter, but I'm definitely, uh, you know, unless there's a, unless it's, in fact, not even that this year. <laughs> see, see, unless it's like North Korea playing England. In fact, no, I'm, I'm sad and <laughs> I still, yes. I'm, I'm still, you know, in, like, in, that, in that instance, 
I genuinely wouldn't care who won. Right. Um, but I wouldn't support either side. Whereas if it was like, I don't know, Germany and England, I want Germany to win. Absolutely. Nice one. <laughs> Listen, I, I appreciate your honesty. I love that, Barry. And yeah, no, totally. uh, is there anything Big else you want to say to our listeners uh, before you go? Um, now that you've started me on football, I want to also <laughs> say that this is the, you've started the sad bit on this now, right? See, as a Thistle supporter, and I would argue it's kind of worse for us because folk, you know, patronises with us, you know, the cuddly club. And sometimes it's warranted. I will give you that. But most of the time it's not. It's because it's actually a really welcoming club. Um, you know, even when I think, because I've been going since, like, like I say, since I was like five, and not once did I ever feel out of place as a woman. Um. And that doesn't mean to say that I've never heard, you know, misogyny or, I mean, there's a Thistle song that is just misogyny in a song. But the people singing it, the numbers are getting less and less and less. There's children coming and we've got an entire squad there that are now, I think they're now probably in their 20s, but in my head they're still 10-year-olds because I've seen them for years, you know, just kicking about. So the one thing that I can't stand is see old fun fans don't ever ask us i but who do you really support right i don't i don't support either of you i'm a thistle fan spot on just the same as you spot oh, on honestly right and <laughs> second of all don't try and get in our good books by going oh yeah no I, I occasionally you know look in and see on thistle how they're doing we don't need that patronizing tap on the head <laughs> see, I, see as a hub supporter I'm just going to give you a round of applause for that answer because that was <laughs> absolutely you, fantastic I was actually at Mary Hill a couple of weeks ago my mate Anton, uh, he plays up Aye. top for Patrick Thistle so I'll be sure to bank the, the, cuddly, the cuddly club I absolutely love it, I can't wait to give him that but... <laughs> no, thank you very much Barry and uh, no, take no, care alright catch you later, bye bye right, see ya, bye bye <laughs>